Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And if you follow us on Twitter at Missed in History or you're a Facebook fan of ours, I put up an opinion poll the other day asking, one, if you would marry a dragon lord, and two, if you would bear him 100 eggs. There was a reason for that. People were very opinionated about it, for one thing, weren't they? There, there are a lot of egg opinions, yes. Pro and anti-egg. <laughs> you know, if your country's origin mythology includes dragon lords and dynasties that start with the hatching of 100 sons from 100 eggs, you have to do something pretty impressive to stand out in history, right? Well, like strap on your golden armor, rebel against your Chinese overlords, and free your country, well, for a while. For a at while. Least. <laughs> so our subjects today are the Chung sisters and their first century Vietnamese heroines. And according to Women in History, which was this great brand new multi-volume set of encyclopedias I found at my local library. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> they are considered models and inspiration for centuries of Vietnamese resistance against foreign occupation. So pretty tall order there, right? So why were they rebelling? And to understand that, we have to go way back, although not quite all the way back to those 100 eggs. And instead, we'll start with the last member of the egg-founded line of kings, the Hung Dynasty, which supposedly prevailed for centuries until the warlord Tok Phan overthrew the Hung King in either 258 or 257 BC. And Tok Phan forms a new kingdom and calls it Olak. And it's not that long before this kingdom becomes part of a larger kingdom called Nam Viet, which is ruled by a former Chinese general. And it's kind of interesting here, but this is where mythology, the the line that descends from those eggs, meets recorded history. So despite being Chinese and despite ruling from near Guangzhou, the general adopts the native people's customs. So this isn't quite Chinese rule yet. We're going to get to that later. This is this is still an independent kingdom. Until 111 BC, when after 100 years of trouble with the Chinese, Nam Viet is finally conquered by the Han Emperor. The Vietnamese remain under Chinese control for 10 centuries, always trying to assert themselves and regain their independence. So giving you some more information about the Chinese rule, which is where our story will be set, the Chinese split up the empire into nine military districts, and they do a lot of work to modernize the country, building roads, building harbors and waterways, and they introduce some new useful things for the people, new forms of agriculture, new weaponry. And they don't meddle too much with the local administration, at least at first. So there's there's not that much trouble initially. They're letting the local feudal lords do their ruling, just like they had before in the Nam Viet Kingdom. And they're not trying to make the people Chinese. Think of this more as a Chinese protectorate. And that lasts until the first century AD when the Han emperors decide they want more control because this country has some precious resources. Forests, metals, ivory, pearls, and lots of people who they can tax and make work. But most of all, they want control over the Red River Delta because international trade is picking up and the Chinese want to have control over the resources and the ports. Yeah. So at this point, the Chinese start going about trying to make the Vietnamese people Chinese people. So imagine it's take our religion, learn our language, follow our customs. 
some of this, it's okay for your average person, but as a whole, people don't go for it. And according to Encyclopedia Britannica, even the educated Vietnamese who started to write only in Chinese still speak their local language in private. So these minor acts of rebellion. Exactly. People people are not into this. But who is ready to rebel in a much bigger way? The Chung sisters in AD 39, and more specifically, Chung Chak and Chung Yi. So the Chung sisters have a few bones to pick with the Chinese, I would say. They have two really good reasons to rebel, and namely their daughters of the nobility and they're women. So starting with the nobility point, the sisters are members of the landed aristocracy. They're born in Mei Ling, and their father is a lack lord, who's a, a sort of feudal lord. Their mother is supposedly descended from that dragon lord line of kings. So they're very fancy ladies, and they've been trained up to be independent and patriotic and martial. Good at, good at dragonry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the Chinese are obviously clamping down on this landed aristocracy. These are the people who hold the power and who have held the power for a long time. So they place Chinese officials in charge, and they pile on taxes, and obviously this is not popular with the lords. And the second reason has to do with their gender. Right. These these policies meant subordinating women because women had very different places in Vietnamese society than they did in Chinese society. Um, for example, in Vietnamese society, they had legal rights. They could take the civil service exam and become bureaucrats or judges or work in trade. And they could inherit property. After Chinese control, a woman's property belonged to her husband. And if the couple didn't have a son, the husband was free to take another wife. I wouldn't stand for that either. So these are obviously some good reasons for the Chung sisters to feel like maybe rebelling a bit. Well, then things get personal. That's when Chung Chek's husband, T-Sek, who is a chieftain and actually a son of a lack lord as well, is executed by the Chinese governor after he protests yet another tax increase. And his execution makes the local people very, very angry. And it makes Chung Chek extremely angry. So angry, she doesn't have time for mourning. She takes off the traditional mourning headdress, skips through the prescribed mourning rites, and along with her younger sister, she starts stirring up the nobles and the peasants. Enough is enough. And she writes an oath, which Sarah will read for you. I swear first to avenge the nation, second to restore the Hung's former position, third to have revenge for my husband, Fourth, to carry through to the end of our common task. And remember, this is a descendant of a dragon lord, so <laughs> listen up. So she's for real. So the sisters start organizing their army, and they make it from both men and women, and they train 36 women as general, including their own mother. So this is a real family affair. One of the commanders, this is just sort of a, a side note here to give you an idea of what these women were like. One of their commanders, who was a noble woman named Feng Ti-ching, supposedly gives birth in the middle of a battle, keeps on fighting with her baby tied to her back. So for real, I don't know, but still, it's a pretty good good story. Well, and how did everyone know that the Chung sisters were legit? According to legend, Chung Chek killed a white tiger that no one else could kill, the sword and the tiger, I guess, to prove that she was the woman for the job. And what should you do with the skin, of course, but write your rebellious proclamation right on it? Just imagining, what if the Declaration of Independence was written on a tiger, a tiger skin? skin yes. <laughs> 
And if you want to impress people, of course, you have to go all out. When Chung Chek's general Tiu Hua asked if the army could wear mourning clothes, she said, "Absolutely not. Mourning could come after the governor is captured." So instead, she straps on her gold armor, which is carved with a mailing bird, and puts on her belt trimmed with bells. And supposedly, the Chinese soldiers stop in their tracks when they see her, which isn't that hard to believe, right? So obviously, the first target is going to be the governor who killed Tisek. They attack his home and he flees. And within the year, the sisters and their allies hold sixty-five northern citadels. They have an army of eighty thousand, and they've defeated the occupying Chinese. At Meiling in the year forty, they jointly proclaim themselves queens of an independent state and rule for two years, freeing the prisoners of the Chinese and giving away the governor's money. But back in China, the emperor is getting ready to take it all back. Yeah, obviously the Chinese emperor is not gonna stand for losing this valuable kingdom, so he puts General Ma Yuan in charge and. The general doesn't have that much trouble reconquering the kingdom until he finally runs into the Chung armies southwest of Meiling, and the Chinese, of course, have better trained troops and more supplies. Plus, the Chung sisters don't have the same momentum that they started out with. Some of the lords have left them by this point, and so they're defeated near Hanoi. And from there, they're either caught by the Chinese and executed, or they drown themselves where the Day and the Red Rivers meet in AD 43. So, after crushing the rebellious sisters, the Han emperors obviously crack down on the people of. Vietnam, and for a time there are only minor uprisings. We don't get our next major rebellion for nearly 200 years, and this time it's led by Ba Chu, a 19-year-old noblewoman who is sometimes called the Vietnamese Joan of Arc. But as we were talking about earlier, maybe Joan of Arc should be called the、uh, French Ba Chu, <laughs> since this girl obviously predates Joan of Arc. But in 248, she and her brother raise an army of a thousand fighters, and after her brother is killed in battle, she. She takes over, fighting in her golden armor on an elephant's back. All these, all these women have golden armor. I don't know where they where get, it. get it. I would like some. So, this resistance movement lasts for six months before it too is crushed by the Chinese, and、um, Ba Chiu also kills herself. But none of the subsequent revolts really work much better than that. The Chinese are very hard to get out of your country once they're there as occupying forces. So. Finally, in the 10th century, just as the Tang Dynasty that rules China is starting to fall apart, we have a successful rebellion. No Quin defeats the Chinese at a battle on the Bekdong River, and in 939, the Vietnamese achieve independence. So, what is the legacy of our famous sisters? The sisters are revered. They're revered today, and they were revered. Shortly after their own deaths, even they helped keep the spirit of the people alive during that nearly thousand-year-long period of Chinese occupation. And during 20th century conflicts in Vietnam, they became cult figures. Today, you'll see a street in Saigon named for them, and people celebrate the anniversary of their deaths. Which is kind of another example of where we guess that. A country really likes certain people, like we did with King Ludwig. So, if you have, you know, your own <laughs> personal experience to share about how big the Chung sisters are in Vietnam, please email us and let us know. It's History Podcast at HowStuffWorks dot com. And I would also like to thank my good friend Trang for this.、Episode. Oh yes, thank you, Trang. <laughs> She helped coach us with very patiently Vietnamese pronunciations. If we've made mistakes, they are ours and not hers. 
It was nice to have a real live friend of ours to help us out because usually we're reduced to putting out a call on our Facebook fan page or on our Twitter at Mist in History. Which is pretty helpful too. Exactly, for help. So if you're one of those people who's very good at pronunciations of foreign languages, please follow us. You may be hearing from us. <laughs> and we also have a good quiz for you to take. This is where we found out about the Chung sisters called Fact or Fiction Vietnam which you can find if you search our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. 